0: A golden entity with control over space and time, demanding your worship and your life. It's Godzilla the Planet Eater. snake coming at you <laughs> welcome back to the monsters versus men podcast alex we're still trying our best to stay alive from the bargain basement of podcast <laughs> you doing <laughs> yes. all right this week yeah I'm
1: doing all right man how about you
0: you know i can't complain too much you know our self-proclaimed godzilla anime trilogy month <laughs> has been fun you know it's godzilla And uh, May, Alex, if you will. Oh, Eric, kudos to you. (laughs) Oh, man, I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Been working on that. Been working on that. Oh, man. And listen, there are just so many different perspectives on these films that I found it really fun. Yeah. Um, You know, Kaiju Transmissions, on one of my tweets, (laughs) replied, their podcast replied, the Godzilla trilogy anime trilogy is the worst thing that's happened to the Godzilla series. I'm like, dang. Yeah.
1: That, that was a, that was fiery. <laughs> you could yeah, feel the right. anger behind that tweet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man. But later on this episode, we talk with another, uh, a YouTuber and, and Twitter user blue Nova, who really has been a defender Of the anime trilogy Mm -hmm. from the start So I'm excited to hear his perspective We did a bad job in our last episode, Alex Because we didn't tell our listeners that Taylor was coming on until he was there Oh,
1: yeah, that is pretty bad, Alex
0: Yeah, so (laughs) we do have a guest this time He's coming in a few minutes
1: (laughs) He's coming to bring us all into annihilation Yes
0: Have you embraced the Golden Demise yet, Alex?
1: Oh, after this week, I probably have.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think it's getting to that point for most of us. Oh, (laughs) Oh, man. It's bad. But without further ado, let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. As the conclusion of the trilogy, Godzilla the Planet Eater leans into what City on the Edge of Battle hinted at, a reimagined King Ghidorah. As a being from another dimension, King Ghidorah presents a similar threat to Mechagodzilla City, but takes the viewer one step further. Mechagodzilla City asked, is it worth surviving if you lose a little bit of your humanity in the process? Here, King Ghidorah asks, is it worth surviving when no matter what, you will one day face dying? (laughs) (laughs) And to be honest, Alex, we don't have much to talk about with this film regarding its plot. It is what it is. Right. But there are plenty of ideas in this one, which will probably be our focus of this discussion. So let me start with a question for you. What do you think of this new King Ghidorah? What do you think of his design? And and what did you make of Metfi's nihilistic argument of self-sacrifice to this entity?
1: Yeah, yeah. But before I answer your question, I do want to ask you. Now, you say that there's not much... About this film regarding its plot, you're mm-hmm. not saying that in a negative way because a lot does happen. But in terms of bullet points, there's like three.
0: Yeah, <laughs> is that is that what you're saying? It's not a negative. It's just the ideas in this film are more powerful than okay. It's just certain plot points, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I no. think that I think the ideas and characters are are, are more important um, than the plot, which is secondary.
1: Yeah, it, and and it's kind of funny. So. Two of the most interesting things are also tethered to my two biggest problems with the movie, and I'm probably going to get the, hmm. my negative stuff out of the way right out of the gate because I'll go and spoil it a little bit. I'm not as hard, as down on this as I was when I watched it the first time. Okay. So the king, the King Ghidorah design is awesome, and the powers that it has are awesome <laughs> yeah. i think it's great i do wish we got to see the full body that we glimpsed in some of the people's visions right mm-hmm. before some of them died or anything like that but i think overall it's really cool and it really feels otherworldly almost in a way that uh godora really felt in Ghidorah, the three-headed monster originally
2: he right? really felt right.
1: so unique and bizarre at the time and he really this is a return to form in, t- in terms of that tone that the monster gives. And it's really interesting when we see the monster at first, one head emerge from a singularity to attack the ship. And then later we get three singularities. These are like black holes. And these mm-hmm. three heads come down out of the sky with seemingly endless length. It's yeah. really cool, and it's bizarre, because you, you do, ex- at one point, expect to see the body, but these heads just keep coming and coming. It's pretty cool that he's this extra-dimensional being, incapable of being attacked, which is just just a really cool idea, and I'm glad the movie went there. So, yeah, I really like the new Kinkadora, But, and this is kind of where the things kind of tie together that I don't really care about for the movie. So we get the nihilistic philosophy of the Exif. Even if, and, and I think the argument is, ki- from personally to me, I think it's kind of nonsensical. Uh, it's not really a belief. I can really even wrap my head around in a way. Like, I, I get it, but I, I really can't get there in terms yeah. of just my, my own headspace. So, But that's not really the problem. The problem comes with the execution of the scenes of Godzilla mm. interacting with Ghidorah. And Met Feast convincing Haruo to destroy everything for the sake of destroying Godzilla. I think in the last movie, Haruo's decision to save humanity over de- destroying Godzilla was already done. And it really felt like the stakes this time were, I mean, while they are grander, they're kind of the same. I mean, they're, mm-hmm. they're it's world ending, but either way, humanity is probably going to be lost. So he's already mm-hmm. made the big decision. So I don't know why he would change his mind now, other than Metfies is, sight not yeah, psychically manipulating him in a way. Mm-hmm. But the scenes involving the actual convincing of him are kind of mundane and repetitive. Like we keep seeing mm-hmm. these shots of the green emerald <laughs> world that his like mind's kind of in that computer, whatever. I, I'm blanking on the name of it, but. We just keep seeing shots of this over and over. And it's like, okay, this is... While we're getting these shots, we're getting background story and development between the battle between Haruo, Haruo and Metfis, But mm. the visuals are boring. And so is the visual of Ghidorah and Godzilla fighting. How many times are we going to see Godzilla's hand face through King Ghidorah? How many mm. times are we going to get these shots of him being bitten? It's kind of boring and a visual aspect. Now in an intellect aspect, I think it's really interesting. I just, I wish for a finale of a series, they could have found something a little more visually satisfying uh, to kind of match how interesting the intellectual aspect of the film is.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I I think I disagree a little bit. I I agree that the action here isn't like, The greatest, you know, (laughs) we get a lot of repetitive Ghidorah floating around Godzilla shots, which I thought was I thought was really cool. But yeah, if you're looking for something like super high action, you're not going to find it here. Right. Uh, I disagree a little bit that, you know, basically we have the same idea last film that we have this film. You know, Haruo already overcame, um, you know, his saving, you know, Mm. like overcame his desire to destroy Godzilla to save humanity in the last film. But the argument here is just different, right? And I'll, I'll get into that, I think, here in a second. But yeah, I love King Ghidorah. I thought if you're ready to embrace something otherworldly, you definitely get that here. Those three heads that eerily creep across the screen, at first just a shadow, it reminds us of a snake, which mm-hmm. is no accident in my opinion. It's that embrace of that snake-like feel. To me, it feels like an allusion to the serpent In Genesis, uh, which, of course, tempts Adam and Eve to desire more than what they have, which is is, that's a consistent question of this film that comes up time and time again and even comes up again in the post credit scene. And basically, it's what do you desire for Ghidorah and that as his talking piece? Or, you know, maybe that's vice versa. Right. We don't really know. The desire is destruction. G- Ghidorah, he's the king of the void, the golden demise, the golden death. I love all those nicknames, <laughs> right? Yeah, they're awesome. Uh, and here's the part that I like about Metphies, and I liked about Galagoo in the last film. Their arguments in and of themselves aren't wrong. They're actually logical from their respective positions, but it's <laughs> their responses to their own arguments that make them different from the humans. For Galagoo and the Bill of Saluto, to merge with technology and serve the greatest good is the ultimate goal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: For Metfees and the Exif, to embrace the finitude of existence and glorify that process, that's the goal. Humans, though, there's something completely different. And that's <laughs> what I'm still trying to piece together. And I was wondering, do you have any ideas? Like, help, help me out a little bit here. What is it about humanity That separates them from the Exif in particular.
1: I think the thing that separates them from the Exif is the exact same thing that separates them from the Bill of Saludo. It just comes down to the humanity. You know, Bill of Saludo wanted to be part of something greater. Literally part of something greater. And the Exif really aren't any different. But they want to be a sacrifice to the golden demise like you said become one with well nothing i guess <laughs> so you're literally feeding something else with yourself so i think the biggest thing for humanity is that it's individualism it's mm-hmm. and i think it really starts with the previous film where we see uh oh, why am i'm blanking on her name the girl that gets the <laughs> y- yuko I think of her name. Mm-hmm. When, when Yuko gets the uh, Nanite's honor and starts to become uh, metal, we see a removal of humanity. And that's the one thing that's able to t- deter uh, Haruo from his objective. And we see what his real priority is, and it's humanity. I like that idea. And that's what drives this film is the, the willingness and, I guess, the hope that humanity has to keep surviving. And yeah. to be themselves without anyone controlling them. And I think right. that's really what humanity is. It's it's about the individual, but also the group itself.
0: Yeah, and no, I agree. I, I think there is that level of individualism that you mention, And also, I would say, you know, maybe an ele- element of choice. Yes. Um, and choice—at least the illusion of choice well, no, that yeah. humanity believes they have. Yeah, well, right? uh,
1: you see that especially with uh, Yuko from the previous film. Mm-hmm. She is on the Billa Saluto side the whole time. Yeah. She agrees with their philosophies and everything until her choice is removed. Right, and that's when that's what sends Haruo down the path that he takes. That movie and this movie.
0: And I think, I think choice has has an element and has something to play at the end of the film with Haruo's decision to face Godzilla for that very final time, right? He chooses to lose. Um, It's a decision I'm still struggling to understand, but just in general, I've got to spread some love for Haruo again. (laughs) You know, he was my coolest character from the first film, but when I posted about Haruo on Twitter a couple weeks ago, I was a little surprised by the pushback I received. Some called him an Aaron Yeager from Attack on Titan ripoff. Mm -hmm. Now, I understand that comparison, and I understand the Captain Ahab comparison. I think I made that in the first film um, because it's especially relevant there. But Haruo, I think, takes a journey where he lets go of his sacred object. Now, let me explain and forgive my postmodern philosophical ramblings for a Uh, second, Alex. I'll tune out. (laughs) (laughs) The sacred object is the desire in our lives that we think will bring us fulfillment when we achieve it or reach it. So, it could be money, sex, fame, whatever that may be for you. But the problem with the sacred object, however, is that while it might be good for a moment, it never actually fulfills. So go back to the Serpa illusion in Adam and Eve for a second. The sacred object for them was the fruit that the snake enticed them with. For Haruo, his sacred object is the destruction of Godzilla, which is what is so appealing to Metphies. For Metphies and the Exif, their sacred object was everlasting life, which their progress in technology eventually revealed to them was, well, in the end, impossible. Mm-hmm. This is what Metphies and Haruo actually have in common. Um, both ultimately embrace the lack between what they have and their sacred objects. And I think this is why Haruo shows sympathy towards Metフィス at the end of the movie. I find I find that so interesting that he yes. embraces Metフィス, you know, yeah. uh, after basically killing Metフィス <laughs> because they share something in common, right? They share this embrace of the lack between their desire and their reality. Um yeah. I find it really interesting. What'd you what'd you think about that moment?
1: Yeah. Alex? I think it's a really cool and unique moment to have, just really in any movie. I mean, how it's been done, yeah, but how many times do we see a protagonist feeling sorry for what I guess you we would perceive as the antagonist, which I would say mm-hmm. nihilism is, and pretty antagonistic when you're trying to yeah. the world. Yeah, no, I agree. Because um, I know <laughs> I'm not well, trying I to saw, make
0: an argument. Well, I for know that
1: last week, Bill with the Bill Saludo philosophy, we were kind of like saying, "Well, they're not necessarily the bad guys." I think this time yeah. the exi are the bad guys. Just to make that clear, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I I think it's really cool to see him relating to someone. And feeling sad about someone dying that just tried to end the world, but he also relates to. he. I think he completely understands where he's coming from, mm-hmm. while also completely disagreeing with his philosophy. And you really do feel that they actually did care for each other in the previous films, whereas both yes. you and me kind of debated that well, maybe maybe, he, maybe he's just using Haruo. And yeah, he kind mm-hmm. of was, but he really did care about him. Yeah. And I think that final scene really makes that clear. And it's, it's just, mm-hmm. it's surprisingly powerful in a way I would not yeah. have expected. And, but I kind of wanted to hit on that ending with okay. uh, Haruo's final flight, <laughs> I guess we could call it. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't really buy Haruo's feelings on wanting to get rid of technology. To prevent what he perceives and Metphys perceives as the creation of another Godzilla that's going to lead to another Ghidorah attack. I I think it's really flawed because of kind of two main reasons. A, A, Mm. humanity will evolve. They will evolve technologically again. No matter what, yeah. it's going to happen.
0: Which the post-credit scenes kind of, I think, hit at a little bit. Yes.
1: Yeah, because, yeah, that's really cool. We'll have to talk about that in just a second. And, uh, but I think he's just de- briefly delaying the inevitable because these people are really smart. There's still technology around that just has grass growing on it now. <laughs> they could go mm-hmm. get it if they really wanted to. But B, they already have a Godzilla. So what are they worried about, creating another one? I I mean Ghidorah still assuming Ghidorah is still alive and he just got eliminated from this dimension, then he could still come back and feed on Godzilla. So I don't, the logic isn't really there for me. It kind of fails, but I do like what it symbolizes and I like his wanting to burn, I guess, essentially get rid of all the anger and everything from humanity's past so that they can start anew. I do right. like that aspect, even if the logic of his final flight kind of fails me.
0: I actually, I agree. I think the pragmatic and practical aspect of what he's doing doesn't make much sense. It is delaying things, I guess, for a second. And you could say, yeah. like, he's making that sacrifice. He knows Metphys is actually right. Like, that's that's the thing. Like, Metphys isn't wrong in the fact that everything's going to end at some point, right? But... Yeah he's delaying he's delaying that inevitability i think it is more of that symbol like that you mentioned alex um Mm -hmm. you know i also i have some personal issues i think which is leaving behind like you know it's it's he's gonna have a kid i know right (laughs) right (laughs) um and i think that makes him i i I don't love that aspect of the character because you're like Are you just you're just dying for something on principle like there's other ways to get rid of technology. You're dying for something on principle rather than like stick around and help raise your kid. That's not super cool.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I agree. It it was a little odd.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. But one point of admiration here um, that is a little less thematic, it's uh, Takayuki Hattori's score. Uh, I haven't been super thrilled by the score in the first two films.
1: Well, we talked about the Daft is,
0: Punk score we for did, a brief moment. But, but, in the second but film. that was a standout moment <laughs> versus was. the overall score. <laughs> Here's the overall score. Right. It really stands out and helps manage the tone. But it's nothing like we've ever seen in any Godzilla score. It's not a dramatic fanfare or overwhelming horror. It's understated melancholy, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I just thought it works, right? It works. Right. Um now, a couple other just small complaints, my nitpicks. I don't understand Haro's relationships, and I, and I just touched on it with the females in, in his life. It doesn't make sense to me. His indecision on like a personal level doesn't make sense to me. Um, I also think at the beginning of the film, the religious conversion uh, happens a little too fast. Now, I believe that people can be converted In a really fast way. And people can have herd mentality really, really quickly. But this happened automatically. Um, So it took me a little bit to buy into that. And then again, overall, there's not much here beyond, like with the plot, beyond the ideas. And so this movie, it actually does feel a little stretched, which is saying something considering it's only 90 minutes. Those are just a few complaints, though, overall. I had a good time thinking about and viewing this movie.
1: Yeah. And I think your complaints about the overlongness is what I feel during those moments that I mentioned that I felt like were repetitive visually mm-hmm. because I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting much. I don't need like an epic attack on Godzilla, but I feel like I'm seeing almost the literal same scene over and over, mm. which is why it See, feels repetitive to me. But I did yeah. want to mention the, uh, I did want to yeah. mention the religious conversion real quick. We didn't really see it last film as much, but Met does have followers already. And we see that Mm -hmm. particularly in the first movie where we see a bunch of them following him in prayer. So he already actually has followers. Now more of them obviously start following after the fall of Mechagodzilla and maybe I'll talk about that later during our rewards.
0: Mm. There we go. There is a good teaser. Uh, I think we should get into it though. Let's go ahead and Invite Blue Nova onto the podcast. All right. All right. Today, we welcome special guest Blue Nova to the podcast to discuss the Planet Eater. Blue Nova, he's a YouTube creator where on his channel, he releases breakdowns and analysis of Godzilla, Gamera, Ultraman, and anime. And to be honest, Blue Nova, I I had heard about your Godzilla anime trilogy videos, but I avoided watching them previously because I wanted to form, form my own opinion. On these films but I went back to watch whenever I found out we were having you on the podcast and I really enjoyed them uh, specifically I liked the nihilism and hope of Godzilla the planet eater um, and the Showa influence in the Godzilla anime trilogy in which you all, all you do in that video and I think it's great is you just so show side by sides of similarities between Showa era films and the Godzilla anime trilogy <laughs> so let's start with the basics why did you start creating YouTube videos and why Godzilla?
2: Hello, I'm glad to be on. So I started this, this hobby as an extension of an academic project. My original goal was to showcase the value of Godzilla films and defend them from the bad rap they all can get. But I think many people would agree that my stance has evolved since then, and I can't say I would disagree with them. I consider myself a fan of film before a fan of Godzilla. It just so happens that there are some Godzilla films that I enjoy. So I can be a lot more critical on them than a lot of Godzilla fans.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, me too. So.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's
1: uh, Eric's come down pretty hard on Mechagodzilla 2, mm-hmm. which I can kind of get. But yeah, I would have to agree there. Don't. Now, I think we, all, we can all agree that Final Wars is a particular masterpiece. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. It, it's oh, a yeah. it's a different movie. Uh um, brought something unique to the table. You, you won't confuse Final Awards with anything else in the franchise, that's for sure.
1: That's this right. Is, that's right. That's kinda true. why I like it as it's just so bizarre.
0: <laughs> uh Blue Nova, what about your, your motivation for continuing these films and continuing these analysis of these films?
2: So my goal evolved from just trying to defend the series to trying to encourage more substantial discussion about within the fan. I grew up reading mm-hmm. take after take of how Godzilla vs. destroyer was or is some great cinematic accomplishment and how it's a worthy sequel to the original film. Now, to be fair, <laughs> it was once one of my favorite Godzilla films as well. But yeah. nowadays, I think it has very little in the way of entertainment value value or cinematic value. Oh. It's 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 a pretty bland film and yeah. it doesn't do a lot of what people say it does. Um, its connections mm. to the original film disappear pretty early on and it becomes a generic late nineties Godzilla film.
0: Mm-hmm. And that <laughs> and that's why people sometimes may call you a troll, Blue Nova <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, <laughs> I I like it though because you're you're just straightforward and blunt. Uh, I can appreciate. I agree with you, really, but you're just more straightforward about it, which I can appreciate.
2: <laughs> I, I know. I I go against a lot of conventional wisdom in the western side of the franchise, but I'm okay with that. Besides, differing opinions are healthy. Yeah, yeah
0: I mean, for sure. I I think I've become more of a fan, and you might agree with this, Alex. I've become more of a fan as we've watched more and more of these films. Oh, yeah. Am I, I? I may be becoming too forgiving. Do you think fans are often like that?
2: Um, <laughs> mainstream opinions are often too harsh on Godzilla films. The fan opinions are often too forgiving. Nowadays, I find myself agreeing more and more with with mainstream views. But mm-hmm. I think I like to give the films an honest chance. I don't just dismiss them yeah. with ill you know, men in rubber suits and cardboard buildings. <laughs> that
1: that's good, and that that's a big hurdle for a lot of people, uh, yeah. unfortunately. And I'm glad Eric joined me on this podcast ride because I think
2: maybe he felt that way. Aside from the mm-hmm. original Gojira, of course. Um, Eric has a very different take on these films than another friend than a, than a friend of mine. Um, I started him on Godzilla films as well. We're doing we were doing the same thing, and oh really? Yeah, pretty much, and he really liked the original movie, which he called the Masterpiece, and he really liked Shin pretty much just as much, and he's fond of the anime films. But hmm. a lot of the other films we've watched, he has been pretty cold towards. Um, oh. He falls into the camp that the original film is the best and most of the other films have been pretty bad and have been a stain on the original film. Oh. <laughs> ooh. I
0: I do think the first film is the best and I do think Shin Godzilla is a close second, but yeah, I do see some of the value. I do see lots of the value in plenty of the other films. So I'd probably disagree with them on some of those, but there are definitely some I know (laughs) that (laughs) don't really hold up to, to like the fan expectation that they set for those films.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you, so you know, we're, we're creating podcasts, you're creating videos, and yeah, there's some similarities, but there's some pretty clear differences between the two. I just was kind of wanted, wanted, wanting to ask if, you know, what's your own creative process? I'm like, how do you decide what project you're going to take on? Because I know in video, it's a real
2: project to take on. It's pretty random, most of the time. Whatever movie I feel like I'm talking about at that second, I will start to work on it and get it done there's no real grant. I know most YouTubers start at the beginning and this review, mm-hmm. all Godzilla films. Right. My, my, my takes have been all over the place. I've done all the Heisei films at this point. I've done very few of the Millennium films and I've done a few of the show up. So there's no real reason rhyme, mm-hmm. or logic here. It's just whatever appeals to me at that moment.
0: Nice. So, I like that. Well, I, I've enjoyed your YouTube videos, as I've said, but I've also enjoyed following you on Twitter just because of the little tidbits of information, the quotes that you post that no one else is really considering. For example, let, let me read this quote from Honda that you posted. It was from the David Milner interview, and I actually think it relates to our discussion on the Planet Eater. It says, Godzilla was a product of the times. There previously had been no monster like him. So people were frightened and shocked by him. Now when Godzilla appears in a city, most of the buildings are even taller than he is. The image of what a monster is shouldn't stay the same. It should be different so that people will be shocked and surprised, just as they were by Godzilla in 1954. Something new and strange must be created. Now when you posted that quote, were you thinking about the anime trilogy in particular, or did you just enjoy that quote? And when you go about researching for your videos, where do you start?
2: All right. I didn't have the trilogy in mind when sharing that quote. I just wanted to share various takes on the series from the people who actually worked on the films. And there's a mm-hmm. wide variety of ideas about what the character Godzilla or the series is and should represent, even among the mm-hmm. founding fathers like Honda, Tsuburaya, Hubei those guys mm-hmm. i don't think a lot of people know this but composer ube interpreted the original film as an anti-technology and anti-civilization statement others hmm. viewed godzilla as the spirits of those killed in the second world war return returning to haunt japan yeah. kaneko famously applied that interpretation to GNK right. or how mm-hmm. another or how a number of industry figures have been critical of the 90s godzilla films directors like honda zuka Kitamura. And I believe that Shin Higuchi, best known for the special effects of the gamma trilogy and Shin Godzilla, he's made comments that can be read as not so favorable up to Ho's output during that decade. So I just want to <laughs> share those ideas because you don't see them very often. And I think it can no. start some interesting discussion.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I really do love that quote. Yeah, It's just, it's kind of perfect and really kind of puts things into perspective. Of course, there's always that argument that once you put something in the public eye, it's kind of the public's decision what to do with it, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which which is why I like the anime trilogy and Shin Godzilla and even GMK. It feels like something the public would never have decided with the character.
2: Mm -hmm. Oh, it's very different. Um, And I think that's partly responsible for the reactions it received.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And before we jump into the awards and, you know, don't give us your final rating of the film, but what are your initial thoughts on uh, Godzilla the Planet Eater. Uh, We know that you like the
2: trilogy, but I just want to know about the Planet Eater specifically. I thoroughly enjoy the Planet Eater. Yeah, it has a bleak tone, the pacing is delivered, and it poses some uneasy questions about human nature. But unlike what a lot of negative reviews have said, I don't think it's boring at all. It's fascinating. It's not like the half-baked, cookie-cutter, escapist films that pay lip service to some random theme or earlier film. I think that describes a good chunk of the Heisei Millennium series, with Mm GMK being an exception there, not the rule. So it's refreshing to get films like Shin Godzilla and the anime trilogy, films that challenge viewers and return to using Godzilla as a vehicle to comment on the anxieties and moods of their times, ask important questions, and do so in, at worst, a competent manner. Shin Godzilla is, without question, the more accessible film. But the anime trilogy requires a few viewings and probably divorcing yourself from the expectations of what a Godzilla anime should be like in order to really appreciate it. Because I myself came in with those expectations and that affected how I viewed the first movie in the trilogy. Um, I was pretty negative on that film. And Mm. my thoughts... Not too different from what a lot of people are still saying about the movies, that it was a disappointment, that the characters were interesting, so on and so forth. I wasn't really a big fan of 3D because I'm not really a big fan of 3D anime, but mm-hmm. I got away from the trilogy as a whole for a while. I came back to it. Um, I avoided the second movie at first because I heard it was worse than the first, but mm-hmm. then one day checked it out on Netflix and I was thoroughly impressed. I watched the third film, enjoyed that just as much. And then I went back and watched the first film again. And now my opinion on the film has changed dramatically. So I have become a big fan of all three movies. And they nice. probably all fit into my top ten Godzilla films. Nice. Um
0: That's awesome, man. Well, without further ado, let's get into the awards then. And Alex, we'll start with you with the coolest character award. Who you got?
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think, you know, I've, I've avoided it for the last two movies, but I want to take my shot at Haruo being my, favorite, my coolest character this time. All right, all right. <laughs> I think he's really come a long way in terms of complexity. Not that he wasn't complex originally, but he's definitely grown over the last two movies. And this third one, his philosophical battle with Metphies really is interesting, and even though I don't completely buy his motives during his uh, final flight against Godzilla, mm-hmm. I do mm-hmm. really like what it meant to him and what it really means for the movie. He's really willing to do anything for humanity, and I yeah. like that big turn that we got revealed in the previous, towards the end of the previous movie that's really led into him solidifying that humanity is much more important than Godzilla. And I I just think he's a really interesting character.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, Taylor mentioned my character last week, our guest (laughs) Taylor, Um, but mine is Martin Lazari, uh, the biologist. He's the most reasonable human, I think in this film. And he's especially thoughtful at the beginning in his little asides with his understudy. Uh, He doesn't buy into fees at any point and he actively seeks to steer human actions in an understandable direction. So I I had to give it to Lazari. Nova, who do you got for your coolest character?
2: Well, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right, but Ayana, the twin that glares a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I I like both her and and her sister for for that matter. Um, they are the most interesting takes on the Mothra twins since the sixties when the peanuts were once in that role. Um, (laughs) She's the one who gets through to Haruo. Sure, their relationship could have used more development, but mm-hmm. I liked it. Um, I thought it, it was a nice change of pace, and I think they have probably one of the stronger relationships in the series. Mm. Definitely one of the, the more impressionable since the show of films. Um, I think the only yeah. film that offers any good competition to that is Godzilla vs. Biolante. Um, mm-hmm. There are definitely a number of firsts here. For example, the first love scene in a Godzilla film. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the moment overall worked for me. I saw it as sex versus silence. It's a, a real thing mm-hmm. where people use physical or emotional intimacy to cope with recent traumatic events. And after everything that mm-hmm. Haru went through, you know, almost dying twice now and losing some of his friends and his whole plan blowing up in his face, I found that his emotional state to be pretty understandable. And yeah, interesting. this was a twin who saved his life and she made a pretty effective emotional appeal in that moment. And it got him to mm-hmm. tear down his walls. And now that yeah. he's finally starting to put Godzilla behind him, he can open his heart to another person. That's um, a
1: really I like interesting that. interpretation of that. I really like that. Yeah.
0: We hadn't, we hadn't <laughs> talked about that either, Alex. So that was good that he brought that up. Um, yeah. let's, Let's jump straight into your most memorable line award, Lunova.
2: All right. I guess I would have to go with Metaphys line where he tells Haruo, that is why us primates must explore what lies beyond death and destruction. This was during their flyover mm-hmm. of Hiroshima, which mm-hmm. that entire scene is pretty awesome. But yes. but, he's, but Metaphys is slowly breaking down Haruo. He is yeah. driving him to sanity trying to push him to accept Ghidorah into his heart and bring about the end of the universe. Um, I also kind of see that line as a callback to what the controller says in Monster Zero, where he tells everyone to let's escape to a dimension which we have never seen. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that line is ambiguous, but I've always liked it. And since the X are supposed to be a reimagining of the Exilian from Monster Zero, that could be a callback. And yeah. yeah, it's it's what he's doing the entire time when he's he's trying to break Haru down. He's trying to persuade him that his way is correct. And Metaphys brings up some during that whole conversation. He brings up a lot of interesting points, points that tie back to the original Godzilla. Film. Um, you may remember that Dr. Salazar called humans weak, and mm-hmm. he did not mm-hmm. want his weapon to fall into the wrong hands, or anyone's hands for that matter, at least right. until he found a more productive use for it that didn't involve film. Because <laughs> yeah. the original film was molded by the armors' race, And right. Japan was, has been still the only country that was on the receiving end of a nuke. So they have a unique experience when it comes to this topic. And Godzilla was, depending on which version of the character you're watching, Born from it, scarred by it, by our reckless testing of nukes, our reckless mm-hmm. use of, of technology. There's a, a lot of interesting things yeah. going on. And I think that line sums up the last, or rather, that 30 minute chunk of the film.
0: Yeah, no, I like I like your phrasing of Haruo must accept King Ghidorah into his heart. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good way to put that. Yeah, yeah. Um, mine is. So I watched the dub and the sub version, and mine actually came from the dub. It was a slightly different than the subtitles, but I just liked the way it was put. And it was, um, it was Metphies again, and he says, "What if the human race disappeared from this planet and left Godzilla behind? Would it still be considered Godzilla then?" It's that whole: um, if a tree falls in the woods and no one is there to hear it, right? is it still <laughs> yeah. a tree? Mm-hmm. But it's with Godzilla. You know what de- defines Godzilla? Well, it's humanity. Humanity defines Godzilla, and what draws Metfeast to Haruo is Haruo's specific hatred towards Godzilla. Um, there's that connection there that I think re- that quote also just brings to light. Uh, so that was my most memorable line. Alex, what you got, man?
1: Yeah. So I think this was a line delivered by major Martin, your uh, coolest character in blue. Mm-hmm. You could probably correct me if I'm wrong, but he says everyone's spirit dropped when we saw Godzilla couldn't win. It makes sense to cling to God, to escape from the despair. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of, I thought that was a really Concise and neat line to ex- kind of explain why there was almost a sudden conversion within the group, even though there was some already practicing uh, the Exif's religion. I think it was an interesting, I guess, breakdown of what people do when there's no
2: hope, and so yeah. I, I really like that. And um, things had gotten pretty dark by that point. Um, you may remember in the in the first film of the trilogy that they, mm-hmm. that the committee mentions that. They only have eight more years on their ship to find a new planet. The conditions mm. have gotten pretty dire. Their supplies are running low, so on and so forth. So they don't yeah. want to go back they're to desperate. space. Yeah, they're, they're very <laughs> desperate. They don't want to go back to yeah. space. Um, and their only hope, well, their, what they believe to be their only hope at first, blew up in their faces. But then they found Nanometal, which was the last hope that they knew of, which also went south. So now they are pretty much broken. And that describes Haruo throughout this film. He's, mm. he's on his last leg. And Metaphys yeah. takes advantage of it. He mentions that in the first private conversation he has with Haruo in the movie. When Haruo asks mm-hmm. him why did he wait so long to reveal his god, if his great god can save everyone. And Haruo was like, mm. well, Metaphys was like, I needed to wait until everyone's heart could be united for this one cause. I needed to wait until the time was right interesting
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's good good point (laughs) Alex what about your can't believe that acting well can't believe that voice acting award
1: right yeah so uh, I have to go with the controller on the I believe the spaceship's name is Aratrum what is it Blue Nova you probably know I might be mispronouncing myself, but it's called the Eritrum Eritrim, yeah, I think that probably sounds better. Uh, it's the controller on the Eritrum and she's the one that's like giving the, the analysis while Ghidorah really uh, assaults the ship. And we really get that. She really sells the panic, horror, and disbelief that's happening while, I guess, almost the realization of the space-time distortions that this yeah. Ghidorah creates. Where she even makes a comment where, they're getting this transmission from the engine room, which has been commandeered by the Bill Saludo. And I think Mm -hmm. the guy's name was uh, Deludo. And he he makes a, uh, she makes a comment that they died 40 seconds ago, but she's also receiving a transmission from the guy at that exact time. And then she also mentions that there's no life signs on the bridge, which is where she's at. And then suddenly they they die a few seconds later. It's like kind of yeah. horrifying. And she really yeah. sells that whole scene.
2: Yeah.
0: And that wasn't a pick I would have thought of, Alex, but I like that one. What do you got, Blue Nova?
2: Well, Eric, I would have to say the final moments of Met when, mm-hmm. when When Met is dying after Harwell chooses to reject him. And yeah. Harwell is, is truly broken by this point. I mean... Nephi's was his best friend throughout his life, his, his, yeah. his advisor. And you really right. see mm-hmm. that in City on the Edge of Battle when he's kind of lost without him early in the movie. And then when he later goes mm-hmm. on to seek advice from him when he's not sure whether or not he should continue to fight Godzilla. But the, the sadness in Harrow's Works really worked for me there. Like yeah. This man has lost so much at this point. And his best friend turned out to be a not so great guy who tried to use him, <laughs> 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 who tried to use him as a sacrifice to a interdimensional demon god thing. Yeah. So he's mm. there. He's he's crying at this point. He's, yeah. he's like, "How much more can I take?" And yeah. met these, you, "You were my best friend." He doesn't say much, but he really sells it with his crying and with the few words he does say. Yeah, he does. Yeah. It's a good moment. No, I
0: think I think both of those moments. So if if you go with Metfee's in that moment, I go with Haruo. If you go with Haruo, I go with Metfee in that moment because that that final moment between the two, there's that back and fo- forth between the voice actors and you can hear that emotion in their voices that really sells the scene. And the thing is is, you know, I I've been thinking that and, and we talked about this a little bit earlier. That Metphies has just really been manipulating Haruo, and there is that in a sense. But at the same time, there's also respect there, and there is a real friendship there, a trust. It's, um, it's so of, I think that final sorry. moment is sincere. You know,
2: it's kind yeah. of vague. I mean, you could read the films as Metphies just taking advantage of him, but yeah. as you were saying, like it seems that there's also genuine feelings there for. Harlow as a person, but he likes him or respects him even. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. you can definitely pick up on that. I like that.
0: Yeah. What about your uh, standout effect award, which here we'll say is the best animated sequence? Blue Nova, I'll start with you.
2: I would have to go with Ghidor deflecting and curving Godzilla's beam attacks when he first shows up to mm. fight Godzilla. It's a re- so cool. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool moment. Godzilla charges his weapon, fires... First time, it just deflects away from Ghidorah. Godzilla charges up another blast, this time longer and, and more powerful. Fires it again, and it just <laughs> deflects around Ghidorah, and it hits the ground, and a lot of smoke rises, and the ground yeah, shakes, yeah. and everyone is thrown off their guard. It's a, it's a really cool moment. Um, yeah. Although the fight overall takes the backseat to what's going on between Met and Cargoal, Right, there are cool bits in there like that, every once in a while. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I appreciate sure. those kind of moments.
1: Yeah, and I uh, like that they they comment that his beams are not; they're actually going straight, even though to their eyes they're curving. Which is just—it's yeah. just—it's—it just makes Ghidorah so otherworldly
2: and
0: interesting. Yeah. It
2: shows how powerful and he is. That. Um, he distorts yeah. the laws of reality. Yeah, right. it's so cool.
0: Now, yeah, I could have gone with several different ones here, but I'm going to go with the end of the Godzilla King Ghidorah battle. Um, just that entire sequence really where it, it, to me, it starts when Godzilla is ripping one of the heads into, you know, by the jaw oh, yeah. and then, <laughs> and then he just takes out each singularity one by one. It's just such an awesome visual. It's a long shot there. And it's just such an awesome visual uh, it had to be one of the standout like animated sequences, plus the music in that scene. It was just overall, it was just a great way to end that battle. Um, <laughs> Alex, what you got, man?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, it, this goes back to my last award, but it, it's the ship being destroyed by that singular mm-hmm. uh, Ghidorah where he's just slowly wrapping around and again her uh, the controller's descriptions of what's happening and all the space time distortions that's just it's just makes the whole scene so unsettling as everything happens, and you have that one exif that is just sitting there enjoying it while it happens, and it's just it's just the whole thing's just unsettling it it's like one of the best moments of this trilogy I think
0: nice I like it. Uh, we'll stick with you, Alex, for Oh, That's a Good Shot Award, which here is the best still, anime still. What do you think?
1: <laughs> Mine has to be the reveal of Metfee's eye, and that he's actually replaced it with that uh, uh, garbatrium, <laughs> whatever it is, garbatrium, <laughs> I can't figure it out, uh, the crystal. <laughs> and it, it's just so eerie. He's just standing there. There's that glow behind him. And that blood just dripping down his eye—it's—it it, really sells, you know, kind of metfi's intentions for Haruo.
0: Definitely, uh, you know, I like sunset shots, Alex. <laughs> yeah, but, I do, I do. <laughs> in this one, I'm actually going to go with a reverse sunset shot. Is how I think about it, and it's that shot we get of the Earth with when you see like the black singularity mm-hmm. behind it. It looks like it's about to envelop Earth. Yeah, I just love that moment. and Plus, I had to choose it because it was a reverse sunset shot. So
2: <laughs> It's a nice shot.
0: <laughs> it is. It's really cool. Blue Nova, what do you got?
2: I will have to go back to the bombing of the Roshan, where mm-hmm. Harrow and Mentes are in the plane, and you see the mushroom cloud they're heading towards. and yes. I like that whole sequence, actually. I like when Mothra shows up and she destroys the plane. And Harlow mm-hmm. is falling down, and then him and Mayana share that moment together where he he, yeah. he hugs her. And then through her, Martin speaks to him and tells him what's going on. And then you see Ghidorah come back. First you see Mephi's eye, and then it evolves into Ghidorah, and it overwhelms Harlow. That, that entire sequence is, is pretty outstanding.
1: Yeah, it yeah. is. That's a good pick. Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Uh, It is. That's a good pick. So let's get into then our final part of the podcast, our rating and our ranking. Um, For our ranking, we'll just kind of rank these in terms of the anime trilogy. Uh, How about, Alex? But let's start with you. What do you think about this film overall? What would you give it out of five, and where would you rate it?
1: Okay. Wait, you said... Okay, never mind. I'm going to... Okay, so I've mentioned in the previous two episodes that I don't like this film. I've said it in both episodes. But upon the viewing for this episode, my mind has changed. But I still have the same complaints as I did when I watched it a few years back. But I think I was able to take more of it in and really enjoy some of it. Like I still think the finale of the film, Haruo's existential mind battle with Mephi's, And Godzilla or Ghidorah slow gnawing on uh, Godzilla is almost too slow or rather, I guess it feels more like I'm seeing the same thing over and over again. Like we keep getting those shots of the green crystal world that Harwo's kind of in and we keep getting Mm -hmm. shots of Godzilla swiping at Ghidorah and while... I do think that that part is repetitive. It's the stuff that's happening in the background that's really interesting. And those really cool scenes, kind of like uh, you were talking about, Blue Nova, the the Hiroshima and seeing all these different events from Haruo's life really help sell and elevate what uh, I'm getting from the film. And while I don't buy that Haruo would ever really sacrifice humanity to beat Godzilla, because, well, he didn't in the last film... I do really like the relationship between him and Metfis. It's so interesting. And the fact that he goes to him at the end of the film while he's dying is just, it's the kind of complexity we don't get from a lot of these Godzilla films. And again, I've mentioned that I don't really completely buy the logic of Harwell killing himself at the end of the film, but I really do like what it represents. And I like his final lines of the film. It really ends on this kind of dark but also hopeful note but mm-hmm. the film has so much going on and I feel like maybe it bit off more than it could chew but the risks it takes with like a d- design and the overall story are just so unique I can't help but like it so I'm actually going to give this film a 3.5 out of 5 and I've never done this before Eric but I kind of want to mm-hmm. retroactively bump up the last two films to an 8 <laughs> Or a four out of five.
0: Whoa. Nice. Nice. All right. Cool. I like that. So this would be, of the three, (laughs) this is your least favorite, but you're retroactively bumping up the other two to (laughs) a four out of five star. All right. (laughs) Got it. All right. Blue Nova, what you got, man?
2: Okay. So I go back and forth between City on the Edge of Battle being my favorite of the trilogy and this one. and. Mm -hmm. It's a lot like the end of Evangelion. I don't know if you've seen that movie. Yes, that's exactly what it feels like. So I guess you can call it the end of Evangelion of Godzilla films. It deals with despair, philosophy, religion, failure, and so on and so forth. The trilogy is about people, and the monsters are big metaphors to help push the ideas. Um, Mm -hmm. It's about people trying to recover after a terrible disaster, and discover who they are now and adapt to a changed world, which I guess you can say is how the series started, because that's what Japan was going through when the original Godzilla was created. They were defeated mm-hmm. in the Second World War and they found themselves occupied by the United States in the aftermath. And Japan had to go through a lot of changes in that period. So mm-hmm. I guess you could argue that this film does what and the trilogy overall, because it's kind of unfair to break them down with the three films because it's best to watch them back to back to back. For you, sure. get, mm-hmm. you get the full effect when you see them close to each other. So I think Toho made a mistake to release them so far apart. In Japan, it was like yeah. six months between each release. If you lived anywhere else, it was like a year. And that's too long to stretch these movies out, and mm-hmm. seeing them in isolation like that. Yeah, But the trilogy plays with a lot of fun and interesting ideas. They're really fascinating. Um, Harlow is used as a dark messiah, basically. Mm-hmm. So, in the second film, Yuko mentions that Harlow taught her that, that it's okay for you to hang on to your hatred. Mm-hmm. And in the third film, the last words are the exact opposite of that. That with the ritual that the Hathor were doing at the end, the kids are being taught to throw their concerns and their fears and their anger into the fire, let it perish in the flames, mm-hmm. which is what Harlow did at the end when he sacrificed himself to prevent his hatred from cursing the new world and preventing Martin from restarting the nightmare they just avoided, because Martin was going to bring back the previous civilization that was lost. He, mm-hmm. I believe he specifically said, just like the Bill of Saluda. And we know how they ended up. So, right. mm-hmm. And it goes back to the idea that we're in the original film where Sarozawa doesn't believe that we should have the option destroyer. Um, we've proven ourselves irresponsible with the technology that we do have. So in order to best protect ourselves, we should put aside some of, of the dangerous tools that, that we have or we could create. And that's why Harlow did not want them to have the nanometal. Plus, it, it was mm-hmm. still programmed, I believe, to take over the Earth, and Godzilla seemed to actively hunt nanometal, so that was probably a time bomb waiting to happen. And Harlow yeah, felt, probably. felt that the best solution to the problem would be to remove it, because in the second and first films, they mentioned that Godzilla City was the only source of active nanometal, which is what you need in order to make it work. In the second film, Godzilla destroys the city, so that's gone. So Yuko was the only source left. And he mm-hmm. destroys her in the game with himself. When he tells Godzilla to what? Erase the curses of, of the past. Yeah. Yeah. So he wants to get rid of yeah. all the baggage that humanity, that the ex that Philosopluto brought up to now. And he wants mm-hmm. humanity's future to be led by the Hatua, who Live in humility to a higher power, which is something that yeah. humanity couldn't accept. Um, like what's interesting is Harlow's evolution as a character. How in the beginning yeah. it was it was just about Godzilla took dignity in our home from us, and it's our responsibility to get it back. And then when Martin brings up in the second film that we may be responsible for Godzilla, Harlow kind of just brushes that aside. But by the third yes. film. He's acknowledging that Metaphys has a point—that right. that human nature can be pretty dark, be pretty weak. Yeah. But he rejects Metaphys' fatalistic ideology, and he goes for the more hopeful one, that of the Haltura, Mm-hmm. where they yeah. throw aside yeah. dark emotions like hatred, and they live in harmony with nature. Um, the, film, the film has again a lot going on with it. Um, a lot more than most Godzilla films do and if I were to give it a rating it would be either a 3.5 or a 4 out of 5 I haven't decided nice. anywhere between those two ratings would, would work for me I think it's yeah, one right. of the best Godzilla films and that's a bold claim and an unpopular one but <laughs> I, I don't think people give these movies a fair shot I agree um a lot of the criticisms are pretty weak and they don't really go into detail i think that again you need to probably watch them multiple times to fully appreciate what you're doing and put aside what you want from the godzilla anime because i'll be honest this is not what i expected out of the godzilla anime it's (laughs) (laughs) um they really went for a curveball here and i appreciate it I, i really like it yeah
0: Yeah, Uh, I like that. And I I really I like your take of the end and Haruo's decision there. I think that's really valid. Uh, So I appreciate that for sure. Yeah. Um, So for me, I think of the 3 Annie Goji films that we get, The Planet Eater, I disagree with Alex a little bit. I think this features the best animation uh, of the three because Mm -hmm. it finally goes for sequences that I don't think can be done on traditional film. I also think it boasts the most memorable soundtrack of the three films that helps transition the tone between insidious dread and this dreary sort of hope. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, though, I think if you're looking for a mesmerizing plot, you're not going to find it here. Instead, I think you get a film more about ideas, characters, and a concept. That doesn't make the film bad. Just look to the original Gojira uh, to see another film that I think leans towards concepts over plot. On a second viewing, again, I had hoped to take away a clear message, but I was honestly left with more questions than answers, which I think is actually partially intended by the writer Jen Yorubuchi. Ultimately, though, from my perspective at least, we get a film that offers glimmers of hope in the victories and losses of life, despite that reality of Metfi's argument, despite that reality of nihilism. What makes Mephi's argument compelling is not that he's wrong necessarily, but what separates Haruo and humanity from the ex is their response to that argument, to that impending doom. So I give this film, like the other two films in the trilogy, a 3.5 out of 5. But I actually rank it in the middle. So I think City on the Edge of of Battle falls slightly higher for me. um, And this falls right below it. And then Planet of the Monsters comes third. Mm-hmm. Uh so they all had the exact same rating, but that is my ranking. Fair
2: enough.
1: Wow. Yeah, I think you and me, Eric, both have City on the Edge of Battle as our number one of the Annie Annie goji
2: films. Yeah. And I fall back and forth yeah. between
1: right. two and three. <laughs> That's right. <Nice>. Yeah.
0: <laughs> no, I think so. I think Planet I think Planet of the Monsters it's just it's establishing characters again. If you take these all three together as as they're intended, yes. I think some of the weaknesses of Planet of the Monsters aren't as bad or aren't as weak because you can see where it's heading. Yeah. But if we we just look at that uh, as a whole, then yeah, I can understand for me why it comes.
1: You last. know, while you were talking, Blue Nova, uh, you mentioned something to the effect of. Uh, people's expectations of these films in terms of what, what what would you expect from an anim- anime Godzilla film? And I think the first movie is almost in line with kind of what I would expect from an anime Godzilla film with, with a few differences, but, mm-hmm. and then we slowly get a shift to this third movie. Like the second movie preps us for something different when we don't get that, when we don't get that Godzilla that stands up and fights uh, Godzilla. And instead it's just like this weaponized city. Mm-hmm. It really mm-hmm. sets us for a subverting of our expectations of what a Godzilla film is going to be. That an anime Godzilla film is going to be. And then this is the, the delivery of what a just this like very bizarre, but well crafted <laughs> anime Godzilla film that does not do anything that you expect it to, <laughs> but in a
2: really cool way. Okay. So Godzilla films are known for being mindless city smashing and monster fights a lot of the times. And I don't think it's a misstep for the series to try to revisit its more ambitious roots. Um, for mm-hmm. most of the past what, thirteen films since the Heisei series, or whatever that number works out to be, um yeah. monster fights have dominated the franchise. And Honda said something in the nineties, early nineties, that I found that I find interesting here. He mentioned that he did not like the direction that the Heisei films were going and that yeah. they did they did not bring it up in meat to chew on to the table and that Mm Toho was just using Godzilla to print money. Um, Mm -hmm. Godzilla made money so Toho wanted Godzilla films to continue making money and the more important questions were being forgotten and thrown to the side which I think Mm -hmm. became more true as as the series went on because he said that after so he died after Godzilla vs. Mahura so he saw the first four or so films and I believe Mm -hmm. that the last three films completely about most of of or any thematic value that they could have explored. So my point being yeah. is that I think it's good for the series to branch out and try new things. Um yeah. for and sure. you have to remember when these films came out. So Legendary was in the process of producing the films that most fans would like. High budgeted, a lot of action, classic monsters in pretty traditional forms. That's what that's yeah. what fans want to see and that's what was getting the plus attention. So in the meantime, Chaho made side projects but on Netflix to try to expand the fan base and, and do something that they haven't done before or in a very long time, if you want to compare this to the original film. Right. And that's not what most fans wanted, but <laughs> I, I don't think yeah. it's and I okay, I understand being upset about that. But this no one said that this was going to be the only Godzilla anime. So
1: mm-hmm.
2: right. Toho could, could make another anime in the future, something more accessible. So it's it's not fair to hold those expectations against this trilogy. Rather, I think we should judge it for what it wanted to be
1: mm-hmm. instead of what we I, wanted. I, yeah. I agree. I agree. And I, I really think that it's kind of one of the beauty of Godzilla having so many movies is that there's a little something for everyone. You don't have to like all these movies and you probably yeah. shouldn't like all of these movies, <laughs> but <laughs> I think that's kind of the beauty of something that goes on this long is there's going to be all these things you like elements. Of, like I, th- I think me and Eric are higher on the millennium that era than you are, but that's not a bad thing. I think it's great that there's something for everybody Yeah, in this series. Yeah,
2: definitely. Godzilla has for sure. a lot of flexibility as a character and as a series. Um, yeah. like the show of films, for example, have a lot of creativity there. Um, you have mm. something like Godzilla mm. vs. Sidora. You have something like Godzilla's Revenge or All Monsters Attack if I'm going to use this original title. And those came yeah. right after one another. And those are very different movies. And then you have yeah. the original film. And then you have the James Bond inspired antics of some of Kudas films, like Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. Godzilla. And yeah. that also mm. pops up in, in Biolante in the eighties. Um yeah. you have <laughs> Shin, which is like a cross between a political satire and a political thriller. So yeah, Godzilla films offer a lot, and
0: yeah, it could be anything.
2: I don't think we should should be upset with these films for not giving the traditional type of film that we are accustomed to. I think it's good for Toho to branch out, try new things, and explore a different territory. I, I believe. Sure. Yeah. I believe that between the '80s and the 2000s, that franchise got incredibly stale, and that contributed to the. Lack of success. The lack of success it was experiencing at the time, because Godzilla was in a pretty dark place in terms of cultural relevance and commercial success in the early 2000s. And yeah. part of that is because it had gotten so stale. And every different take isn't going to be a big hit, but I would like to see them fail in in um, experimentation rather than just try out the same thing again and again and again. Right.
0: Yeah. Well, I, pers- I personally want to see more films like Shin Godzilla, for sure. Because, yeah, that one, right before we reviewed this, that one kind of blew us away a little bit. But where, where can people find you online, Blue Nova? And what's in store for you this upcoming year? Do you have any new videos on the horizon?
2: You can find me on YouTube, of course, and on Twitter. Mm-hmm. But nice. at the moment, there is no new videos in the works. So probably just expect me to make comments every once in a while on Twitter sharing, whatever I'm doing about a movie at that moment.
0: And, and if you're looking for blue Nova, it's blue Nova without an E in blue. So B L U N O V A. Now we have a tradition of making a rhyme for our next film. Did You You didn't have to, but did you come up with a Rhyme Blue Nova for our film for next week, which is two, Godzilla 2014?
2: I did not come up with a Rhyme. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's that okay. okay.
0: I have got one. Uh, are you ready for this, Alex?
1: It's got to be better than mine, Eric. Right?
0: <laughs> uh, I'm sure it is. I mean, that's out of the question already. We already know it's going to be. But in the first Godzilla film from Legendary, did the results leave you merry, wary, or just oh Harry?
1: Oh my god.
0: And I'm not sure what Harry means, but I'm just going with it. Get <laughs> <laughs> enough of me. Alex, what you got, man?
1: Oh, Eric. Oh, Eric. Um, I'm sorry in advance, everybody. Uh, Godzilla's back in America, but does this film have character? Or does it move like an iceberg because it doesn't have enough Heisenberg?
2: Oh, oh my gosh, man. Oh boy. Um... <laughs> your gold we nailed it uh, thank
1: you for your sympathy Blue yeah. Appreciate
0: who <laughs> never just signed out of the podcast forever, <laughs> never to return he
1: gave up and sent us some messages
0: to not air this episode yeah. <laughs> this episode is canceled it will be He's the last time yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so as always, you can follow us on Twitter at MVM underscore pod. We're on Letterboxd Alex Cornette and Eric Neely. Uh, you can email us feedback MVMpod at gmail.com. Until next week, try, try to stay, <laughs> stay alive. <All> right. alive. <laughs> Peace out, everybody. Try <laughs> to stay
1: alive. See ya. It with that, uh, uh,
2: garbatrium, <laughs> whatever it is, governor. <laughs> I can't figure it out.